Can we just appreciate all the moms and the ladies and the important role they played in our life? Uh, we as a church just want to express our gratitude and our affection to all of you who are here with us today or listening today for the way that you fulfilled God's calling in your life um, to, to be a mother and provide care and love and affection and leadership the way that you have in your household. Um, we do our best to express our affection. It doesn't always go the best way. I looked up what, what were some of the worst Mother's Day gifts to give a mom. And so if what you've done falls on this list, I want to encourage you. Mother's Day ain't over yet, okay? There's still time to fix it. But I, I have such strong belief that this isn't you that I, I think that it's going to be okay. Um, one husband got his wife a gift card to a steakhouse, and it was listed as one of the worst, which you might be saying, that sounds like a decent gift. It happened to be his favorite steakhouse, and she happened to be a vegetarian. <laughs> Number three was not a back massage, but a book about back massages. You're close. <laughs> right idea, wrong thing. Um, number two was, was close as well. It was breakfast in bed, except for it came with a side of food poisoning. Mama does not want her bacon rare, okay? Uh, make sure everything is fully cooked. And number one uh, on the list was a lamp that he picked from their neighbor's garbage that didn't work. And, and, you know, the effort was there, and so that's at least maybe better than nothing. But make sure we're doing something, because the, the fear is that we're going to have this affection and this care and this respect for someone who is so important in our life, but their feeling might be that that respect and that affection and care might not be felt. And so we want to utilize any day of the year, but we'll, we'll do it on Mother's Day too, to make sure that we express to them how important they are to us. Because it's so easy to have deep feelings about something, but never let it get expressed. It's so easy to begin to, to take for granted the importance of someone in our life. And today, it, we're, we're actually at the halfway point in the story series. And so if it's your first time here, no worries. You, everything's going to make sense. But for those of you guys who are, who are we're kind of making our way through like the dog days of the Old Testament, like it's not the most exciting part of the Bible for some of us. But I want you to know we're, we're halfway through this series and we're at this point where it's, it's described as the beginning of the end for the kingdom of, of Israel, for the kingdom of Judah. And Today, we're going to look specifically at a prophet named Isaiah and a king named Hezekiah. And Isaiah has this incredible moment, this incredible vision where he gets to stand before the throne of God. And we're going to go through the, the verses in some sections, and we'll put the first verse up there, verse 6. And this is the, the prophet Isaiah speaking, and it says, In the, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, first of all, he's having this vision, and he gets to see God. And when I say that, oh my, I don't know if I can properly convey what that would feel like. But he begins to paint the picture with, it's, it's there in the temple, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Like the end of what he wore was so magnificent and so huge that if you can think 
of a scale of a temple that is four times this room, and it is just completely filled with the presence and a visual presence of God. And the way that when you see that, that it would strike your heart to say, I... I have made myself so big in my own eyes and I have made God so small. That at the beginning of this vision, you have to begin to recognize that what he saw would make his knees shake. And we far too often, we have minimized who God is down to something that looks like what we see in the reflection of our mirror. And I want to tell you, you can just speak to God in prayer Yes, he will hear you, but you need to understand the glory and the holiness of the one that you speak to. That his majesty, that if you were to just get a glimpse of it, it would shake you to your core. It would be so good for you if you could wake up every morning and before you saw anything else, just get five seconds where you got to look upon God in in this throne room. It would shake your life up. Even if no one else knew that you got to do this, I'm gonna tell you, this would wreck the way that you're living your life. Because all of a sudden, when you saw who God was in his holiness, it would just shake off your worries and your expectations that other people put on your shoulders because you would say, do you know how big our heavenly father is? Do you know how majestic he is? That that when you look upon him, you can just see the fact that he's eternal, that he has no beginning, he has no end. And so when my worries begin, I don't have to worry because the one who lived before all things, he cares about me. If you could just set your eyes on it, it it would shake up the way your morning started. And Isaiah, I want to tell you, he, he lived the life of a prophet, but this is a defining moment for him. He talked about this moment. We're going to see. I believe he talked about this moment very specifically with King Hezekiah later because you'll see some of the things that happen here flow out into the prayers of King Hezekiah. But he starts off talking that he, that he saw the Lord, the train of his robe, filled the temple. And his power was just on display. And then into verse 2, it says, Above him, above the Lord, there were seraphim. These were a type of angel, and each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two wings, they covered their feet, and with two wings, they were flying, and they were calling to one another. And we'll get to what they were singing for a sec- in a second. But th- th- these seraphim, these six-winged creatures, these are created beings in, the, in heaven itself. They, they were created for this role of worship and service at the throne. And that's an interesting thing to look at because we don't get too many biblical references to what happens in heaven and what kind of angels are there. And so this is a description, but I want you to just soak up the reverence that exists for the Heavenly Father. Because these beings, they were created to serve right there at the throne of God. And they spent their existence right there by God's throne. But do you see the reverence that they have that they cover their faces as they stand, as they fly next to the throne? That they, they have such reverence of God that even though they've been created to be there, they, they won't even look upon his face. 
And I want to raise up within us an understanding of just how holy and magnificent his name is. Now look, I'm not concerned, I will not concern myself or waste my mental energy on how the world talks about God. And I will not waste my energy on the way that they use his name or that they use it in vanity. My primary concern is what's going on in my heart, in my mind, towards the things of my heavenly father. And I am concerned, am I speaking his name that lacks the reverence it deserves? Because when the Bible says not to take his name in in vain, I want to make sure that we're dialed in on two truths of that. One, it's talking about the name of God, which the Hebrew people wouldn't even write all the vowels because they were so concerned that they would read it and think it without giving its full reverence. That's how much respect they had for the name of God. But the second thing, vain, it, it means without meaning. When we use the Lord's name in vain, it's not that we just use it as a cuss word. It's like as if we said it just casually, not even negatively. The commandment to to not take the Lord's name in vain is that when you say his name, you have worship that flows out of your heart and your mind as you say it because you understand who he's talking about, because you understand that in the kingdom of heaven, even created beings that were made to serve beside the throne, there is such majesty and holiness and glory around that throne that they won't even look upon him. And I so many times have treated him so casually and treated his commands so casually. But if I were given the, the instance to look upon him, I'm going to tell you, it, it would probably fix that casual nature real quick. So the way that you think about him, think about him in this passage, it, it's, it says that they're calling out to each other and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is what the next part of the passage says. Go on into Isaiah 6, verse 4. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. As worship was happening, it felt like the foundation was moving. As worship was happening, it felt like there was movement in the whole house. I want, I, want, I want you to leave here today encouraged. And so I want to make sure you hear my heart in this tone. We have an opportunity to experience powerful worship here on earth. And the barriers to your worship being powerful to where it feels like, man, things are just shaking and things are moving in my, my life. They're not exterior to you. The barriers for you to experience powerful worship. They're not exterior. They don't have anything to do with the band or if the stupid projector is flickering while the words are up there. It doesn't have anything to do with if you even care for the song itself. You have the opportunity to experience powerful worship because like so many nations, there have been times where the churches, because they were meeting in secrecy, they had to worship with still and quiet voices when they came together. But it was still described that the Spirit of God was there in a heavy and strong way. As the church has been persecuted in history, there there was times where they would sing hymns without actually vocalizing. 
There's been times where the church has gone into hiding and wouldn't meet altogether, but would just meet in smaller homes because they knew that they were under persecution. And in those times, they experienced the closeness of God and the power of God at work in them. And so why does it feel like we lack that when we gather at times? Because our heart is so divided between other things and we make God small and we talk to him in a small way and we worship in a way that lacks any real understanding of the God that we sing to. And I want to encourage you, church, that if you felt like there's been part of your heart that just isn't connecting with God, if there's part of your worship experience that just feels like, ah, I'm just not getting swept up the way that I I want to, take charge of your mind and your heart and your soul and say, I will bring my worship before God because he is so worthy. And when I think about him, when I talk about him, when I sing about him, my heart is gonna be engaged. In my household, I've had to do this a few times with one of uh, my children in particular. And I, I, I try to never pick on my kids. I always just tell the encouraging, fun, or interesting stories about, about them. But I don't mind this one so much because my son was so young at the time that, it, that it's allowable. Uh, you know, when he's raising up, there's something about little boys and testing their limits that there's been times, and I'm sure your kids have never done this, where your child takes the wrong tone with your spouse. And part of you is like, I want to see how they handle this. And, and then the other, and the part of me that, that speaks up quickly because I was raised in a single mom household. And so I made decisions about this even when I was a teenager, how it would run in the house that I belonged to. And as soon as that tone starts coming out of my little three-year-old boy's mouth, I'm like, do you understand that you're talking to my wife right now? Like, she's not your mom. She's my wife. And she might change your diapers and she might make you meals and she might provide all kinds of care for you that you might get it confused that she's your servant rather than the fact that you should be caring for and serving her. You might think that you're more important in the order of things because the way that she's provided care for you for so long. But let me make sure that we settle this straight in your little brain as it gets going. When you speak to her like that, It has to go through me, and it's not going to go through me. Because she's here, and if you're lucky, I'll let you live here for a while and eat some meals for a while. But there's going to be a day when you leave and she stays, and so the respect is going to stay there. And for us, I think that sometimes we get it twisted of like, you know, God has cared for us for so long and he's provided for us for so long and he's removed difficulty and pain from our life for so long that when we experience a moment where God allows pain and difficulty and loss to come into our life, we start to speak to him with an attitude of, hey, you're supposed to take care of me. You're supposed to serve me. You're supposed to give me what I want. And man, when I've taken that tone with God, I felt like the Spirit has said the same thing that I've had to say to my son. I've said, you serve me, I don't serve you. Your life is here for my glory. I'm not here to glorify you, Paul. And in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, Christ has overcome the world. He is holy on the throne. 
We are made of just dirt. He has spoke life into us and he's shaped us into his image and we have to be careful that we don't begin to shape God into our image or shape God into the image of a servant who only takes care of our needs. God is the one that we worship. Uh, Worship is not what we worship. That might sound weird. Let me make sure that that sentence makes sense to you. Worship is not what we worship. We, We don't gather because man the worship is just is just powerful and we we love to be there for the worship itself and we get excited about the worship when we get excited about the act of worship and not the one that we are worshiping we lose sight and it loses value and it becomes like America's got talent or something where we sit back and we're like ah oh, the 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 guitar solo wasn't as good today worship wasn't that great Come on, church, there's more and there's more meaning that you get to leave here with because this is what you need. You don't need us from the stage to get you amped up. You need to come in here and say, God, you've got all of my heart. And when I give you all of my heart and give you all of my mind, it doesn't matter. Even if Paul was leading worship up here and it was terrible and off key, I could still bring my worship before you because you are holy and you are majestic and you are worthy of all of my life and all of my energy. And that's where we got to get our hearts to because when you get there, the barriers of earth that would slow down your spiritual development, they have been removed. When you get there, you begin to recognize, I can really worship God even if it's not Sunday morning. When is the last time that you put on a song that speaks to your heart and, and you know that just worship flowed and maybe it was tears, maybe it was just where your mind was at, but you knew that as that song played, you worshiped your heavenly father and he heard you and you knew that that was worship in your heart. You gotta try this if you haven't. It's actually, a man, music, it's not powerful for all of us, but I'll tell you, it was powerful in my story. One of the big things that happened in my spiritual development, my youth pastor, he challenged me on this issue and and I took it up because I respected him, not necessarily because I agreed with him or thought that it would do anything to my life, but he challenged me when I was early in my faith and he said, Paul, I would love to see you for 30 days just listen to music that glorifies God and just see what it does to your head and your heart. And I... I respected him and, and I, I loved him. And so I said, okay, Steve, I'll, I'll give it a try, thinking it wouldn't do anything. Can I tell you that as I spent my time driving, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, just singing the worship of God, the way that it changed my, like, listen to me. I, I, I share this not to puff me up because I've seen this happen in other people. When I did that, I maintained that challenge for a year because I just didn't want to give up those moments where I felt like God had his hands on my shoulder, that my perspective got fixed as I was going places. And it doesn't have to be to the exclusion of all kinds of music, but you just have to find this place where you're engaging in worship of God in a way that honors him on a regular basis because it will shake up the status quo in your life. So find it however you have to. 
If it's an early morning time in the prayer closet, then go for that. If it's saying, from now on, when I drive to or fro anywhere, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing praise and worship to the Lord. I'm going to throw on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, and I'm going to get Christian music. I'm going to dial into Caleb. It doesn't matter how you do it. Find that place. If it's reading for you, make sure it's part of your daily rhythms to get to that space of worship because he's worthy of it, because it impacts the environment that we're in. And this is what happened with Isaiah. He's in there and he sees this incredibly powerful worship happening to him. And he was a prophet of God. He was holier than the other people around him. He heard messages from, from God in a way that other people would come to him for advice. And so for when it came to someone who was among the people and should be respected to have spiritual stature, Isaiah was that guy. If there was anyone who deserved to, you know, at his day and age, just walk in and have a conversation with God and have this vision, it was him. But I want to show you what his response to seeing this in verse 5. You can go ahead and put, up, put it up on the screen. It says, woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah speaking. He said, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I want you to recognize that he felt like he was in ruin. That not, not just because God was so holy, but because he was so broken. I mean, there's so many reflective passages within this that we hear echoes of these truths in the, throughout the Old Testament and the New. Like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah repeats this and says that we all have gone astray. And when he saw God clearly, he saw his sin clearly and said, just like my generation, I'm a person of unclean lips. I don't, I don't deserve to be before the holiness and the majesty of our God. And it says, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, taken with tongs from the altar. When he with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin has atoned for. One of the things about seeing God is that you see yourself really clearly. I think one of the major indicators, and you felt this in your soul as you've been around people who are religious, people who are pastors or priests or, or whatever connected to an organization that claims to follow God. You've seen this in people where they begin to despise and criticize and be hateful towards other people as if they're better. I'm gonna tell you a real evidence to being close to God is the statement of saying, I recognize we're all on the same page. The addict, the prostitute, the politician, the pastor, the priest, the homeless person, the principal of the school, all on the same page all on the same level, all the same brokenness. But we have found the gift of grace that is only known in Jesus Christ. And it's only by his blood that we have been forgiven. It's only by his sacrifice that we have hope of abundant life on earth, new life and eternal life. And as Isaiah saw God, he, he saw himself. I think that this was a critical day in the life of this prophet where he understood who he was among his people. And only by an act of heaven can we have forgiveness. And this 
coal that was taken with tongs from the altar and then flew by hand and touched to his lips. And God said, you've been forgiven. And he was saying that you're going to speak for me as well. And then as God says, you know, I, I've forgiven you. And, and, he, and he touches the coal to his lips. And it says in verse 8, then, the, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. It says that he said that, but I want to just kind of guess based on context. It was probably more like a whimper than a statement. It was probably more like a whisper, like, because how could I deserve this calling that comes from the heavenly throne? Like, I, I, I don't believe that there was a whole bunch of ego or pride in this. When you look at the context of he's saying, woe to me, I'm a dead man as I stand here. And God says, who will go for me? And he says, send me, I will go. And, and, and this passage in this heartbeat, I believe that it's reflected in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, which is a verse that we should always have right in front of our heart, right in front of our eyes, right in front of our mi mind, where Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the Great Commission. But do you see the heartbeat here that at the throne of God, he says, who is going to go to the people and to the nations for me? Who will go to them? And Isaiah in response says, yes, I will go. There, there should be this natural inclination of moving towards those who are far from God, that as you're close to the throne of heaven, you're going to have a natural inclination to move towards those who are far from God. It's reflected in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, that says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. There's this reflection that there's this natural movement that as you're close to God, you're going to have an affection and a care and a desire to reach those who are far from him. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you and press you. And as your pastor, encourage you, get closer and closer to the one who sits on the throne. See, see the, the portrait that the scriptures paint of who he is. Seek after him in prayer. Seek after him in worship. Get to know him because as you do that, I believe it's going to change the way that you love your neighbor. It's going to change the way that you allow fear to control your life. It's going to change the way that you expect God to work. Because when difficulties come, and I apologize, we have to roll through Isaiah. There's so much more to, to go through there. But I want to make sure we touch on Hezekiah as I close this. And band, you guys can, can begin to make your way out when you're ready. Um, going to 2 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 14. We're going to put this on the screen. This is the king of Judah at the time. And he had just received a threatening letter from a nation that could crush them. That their military might far outweighed theirs. Their repertoire, their, their resume in battle was they had destroyed nations and destroyed their gods. And he received this threatening letter that they were coming for them next. And it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. How did he know that he was enthroned between the cherubim? 
Isaiah was the prophet who served alongside Hezekiah. Hezekiah actually asked Isaiah for instruction and wisdom when this whole situation was going on, which tells me Isaiah had shared about his vision to Hezekiah. It's just an interesting little footnote within this passage that as Isaiah got closer to God and knew more things about God, he shared about his faith with the one who was serving as king. And it's just an interesting note to me. But so he's praying what he knows about God, what he's heard from Isaiah. And Hezekiah over all to the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of earth may may know that you alone are God. You alone, Lord, are God. God is high and exalted and he is on his throne. And we are here on earth and we will experience difficulties and we will will experience things that feel impossible. And there are times where God will say, my grace is sufficient enough for you and you will walk through this. And there are times where he will show up and he will work miracles. But no matter the direction that he takes you in the season that he takes you through, Our response to difficulty should be the same of saying, I am going to bring this before God. Because when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, that's something that he speaks to you and you know it. And so you have the confidence that God is going to walk me through this, even if it's difficult. And so when God says, you're going to walk through the valley, we hear we're going to walk through the valley as we seek after him in prayer. And we come in prayer sometimes and God says, I'm going to glorify myself through you. Now make sure you saw how that passage ends. It wasn't, I'm going to do this so that people may know Hezekiah is great and lifted up and exalted. He said, no, that they may know who the Lord is. And there's times where he's going to work through you. And that night, God fought for them. And 185,000 of them were wiped out in, in one night. And they were protected. But this is where I want, I want to land. Is I want to land in the place of expectation. That when we pray, we have an expectation that this holy and powerful God, he knows us, he's powerful, and he's loving. And so either by his presence or by his provision, he's going to show up in our life. That his presence will be there with us through the difficulty or his provision is going to make a way when it seems like there is no way. And our picture of God is not a mere reflection of us, but it's an understanding that if I were to gaze upon him, it would just change everything. that when I see him, it changes how I see myself, it changes how I see the world, it changes the way that I live my faith. And so I am going to, through the lens of scripture and the connection that he's given me in prayer, I'm gonna focus my eyes on the things of heaven. I'm gonna fix my eyes on Christ. 
And as I do that, the way that I pray and the way that I live will change from fear to hope. It'll change from isolation to community. It'll change from death to life. Because that's what God has for you. He has a life and a purpose and a calling and a hope. I hope you experience that. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, would your spirit just move in our head and our hearts in a way that we sense your closeness and we know that we serve a God who sits upon a throne where your glory, it fills the temple. It shakes us to our core. It shakes the foundations to the core. And so may we worship in a way that reflects who you are to us. And where there's fear and where there's medical diagnoses and other problems and issues that are ahead of us in our life, help us to approach those with expectation that your presence and your promise will be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.